for our time in the Word this morning. A lot of our scriptures are on the screen. You have a, an insert in your bulletin that will give you some of those scriptures. But we want to focus in today. I don't know what it was like. Where we were sitting, it was cold. Anybody else in here cold? We got a battle of the temperatures in here this morning. The folks in the middle are cold. The folks on the edges are just right. I don't know what it was like that morning when the four women went to the tomb. We know it was the Sunday after Passover. So we don't have to guess when Easter is each year. We don't have to guess when the resurrection of Jesus occurred. It occurred the Sunday after Passover. But because they live with a lunar calendar and the Jewish calendar, sometimes it occurs in early March and sometimes it can occur all the way into late April. It could be a morning like this where it's beautiful. Or it could be like some we've had in recent years where it even snowed in Texas on Easter. I don't know what it was like. At least not the temperature. But unfortunately, most of us in here know what it was like emotionally for those women who thought they'd lost everything. Most of all, they lost the person that valued them more than anyone else valued them. He was gone. When all the men forsook the Lord, they stood nearby. They were faithful through the whole ordeal. Each excruciating, agonizing moment that we focused on in Isaiah 53 at Communion. And when they went to the tomb that morning, they weren't expecting him to be alive. They weren't expecting him to be raised from the dead. They brought perfumes and ointments to keep his now stinking body from heavy odor. That's what they went for. Ugly, harsh reality. Reality that some of you came in this door and sat in this place carrying similar feelings. But this is not a day of defeat. In fact, communion is never really about defeat. Communion is always about victory because we don't celebrate it on the day he died. We celebrate it on the day he rose. And it changes everything. Even our most bitter tears and our deepest emotional losses. We've been looking at Philippians and First and Second Thessalonians, Paul's time in Macedonia. And this morning we want to let Paul lead us because of the resurrection of Jesus to three windows of grace. A, a place that we can invest our lives, a place that we can sink our hopes, a place that we can have our resurrection in our deepest sorrows. Because after all, we 
weren't there to see the garments of death that had enshrouded Jesus cast aside. But, but we believe that he was transformed through those garments. We weren't there when the four women walked to the tomb defeated and saw the stone rolled away. Not sure what had happened. Deeply confused. We weren't there when Mary went into the tomb. She ducked down. Literally, the text says she ducked down, reminding us that the doorway was not huge. It was the stone that blocked the way to the tomb that was huge. It was the death of her Savior that was huge. It was the loss of hope that was huge. But she ducked down and she went in and saw the angels and They said to her, why do you seek the living among the dead? We weren't there, but we believe he was raised. We weren't there when she told Peter and John, and they ran to the tomb, and John, a sprinter, beat Peter to the tomb, but stood outside. Peter finally gets there. He looks in the tomb. He goes in. He's confused. John goes in and sees the garments, and he believes. Because of the change we see in Peter and John and the fearful disciples, we too believe. We weren't there on the road to Emmaus where two friends walked along defeated, discouraged, distraught, their hope gone. They thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel. And as he talked to them, they didn't recognize him in his glorified body. But when they invited him into the meal and he blessed the bread and he broke it, they recognized it was Jesus, just like we do in the breaking of the bread. And we believe, like they do, that while death was awful and excruciating and shameful and humiliating, it was not the final answer, it wasn't the final word. Jesus rose from the dead. It's God's plan to undo Sin, death, and hell. And we weren't there when the other apostles told Thomas, believing Thomas. I don't like to call him doubting Thomas. But they told believing Thomas, the Lord is risen. And Thomas, being a good old East Texas guy, goes, oh, come on. Get real. I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my fingers in the nail marks in his hands and place my hand in his side where the spear pierced his body. But a week later, he was in the room with the other ten, with a handful of the women, and the Lord appeared among them. And he showed him in his glorified body the nail marks. The place in his side. You remember what he did? He fell at his feet, believing. Said, my Lord and my God. We are here today because we believe, we believe that Jesus raised from the dead met with the eleven. And like he began his ministry with them, He exclamated the end of that ministry by watching them try to fish. And these experienced fishermen have a terrible night. He says, hey guys, throw your nets on the other side. 
And they did, and they caught a bunch of fish. I'm not sure I'd wanted to be in the boat with Peter because he had to put some clothes on when he realized it was Jesus. And he hops in the water and he swims to shore. They drag all the fish in, 153 of them, and Jesus already has fish cooking on the grill for them. And they eat some fish and he confronts Peter with his sin and then restores him back to ministry. I hope you believe. But I know it's not always easy to. But for me, belief hinges on what happened to these 11 guys that had been hidden in an upper room and then suddenly, seven weeks later, stand before the very same people that condemned Jesus, the people that terrified them, and they said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God is raised from the dead and has made both Lord and Christ. Some years later, a persecutor of the church named Saul of Tarsus, we know him as Paul the Apostle, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He calls it as one untimely born. He didn't believe the Messiah could be crucified because anyone hung on a tree and his Understanding of the Old Testament was accursed of God, damned to hell is what accursed of God means. And Jesus had been crucified. And Jesus appears to him. And he says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. He says, when Christ was revealed in me, everything, everything changed. And so when he preached... A gospel, he preached a very simple gospel. You heard it read earlier. This is the core of who we are. This is what we believe. This is where Christian faith stands or falls. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And guess what? He appeared to flawed people. None of whom expected him to live after he died all of whom had their lives totally rearranged. And the sacrifice that we talked about offering to God in communion, those people, most of them, sacrificed their life to tell the world the impossible had become possible. And death had been defeated. And the sting of death had been eased. So this morning... When we think about the resurrected Jesus, the glorified Jesus who appeared in an upper room without going through the door, the resurrected Jesus who had a body that was recognizable but only after they realized who it was, we come today because we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. But what difference does that make, really? I don't know how many funerals I have done. Some nights in that twilight sleep, I relive those funerals. Little bitty caskets and big ones. People taken in the prime of life and others 
that lived to the grand old age and were faithful saints. People who hesitated and never owned Jesus, whose lives were snuffed out, and others who found Jesus in the closing months and years of their life and influenced many. What difference does a raised Jesus make? Paul offers us in the book of Philippians three windows of grace. Windows that we can look through. Windows that allow us to see our hope through the resurrection of Jesus. You know, when the light is just right, you can look in a window and you can see through it, but you see reflected back your own image. And when we look through these windows, we see the resurrected Jesus, but we also see our own image. And just like any mirror, they tell us the truth, the truth we don't want to know. I don't know about you, I used to say 30 years ago when I look in the mirror, I see somebody that looks 10 years older than I imagine myself to be and 20 pounds heavier. Now I see somebody 20 years older than I think I ought to look like and 40 pounds heavier. Life has a way of doing that to us. Reminding us of our mortality. So what hope do we have because Jesus is raised? In this first window, Paul, who is in prison, the Philippians are worried he's going to be executed, that he's going to die. Paul is not sure. He said, I may die. I may return. I don't know. But he said, I'm going to rejoice because your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit allow me to see through this window of grace clearly. And I know that whatever happens to me, it will be for my deliverance. That deliverance may come from my death, and I'll go to the presence of Jesus. The three verses after this say, when I die, I'm going to go be with Christ. I'm going to go be with Jesus. And so part of me wants to go be with Jesus, but my deliverance may also not just be through death into Jesus' presence, but it may be from death so that I can come back and minister to you. And that's what happened. He was delivered to minister to the Macedonians again. But he said, no matter what happens, this is my hope that whether I I live or I die, Christ is glorified in my body. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think one of the biggest questions we all face, and you hear all sorts of stuff at funerals, is when this bag of bones and saggy skin, and if you're not there, you will be one day, when it quits, where am I? And Paul's answer is real simple. We're with Jesus. Because Jesus died and was buried and was raised, and we have, in faith, been dead to our sins and buried with Christ and raised to walk a new life in baptism. We've died the death that matters. 
And nothing can separate us from our Savior. Romans 8 says, not height or depth, not heaven or hell, not the future or the past, not principalities or powers, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. They have people that have died. They're brokenhearted. They expected Jesus to come back before any of them died. And he said, don't worry about it. It's, it's just like that little girl that I said was asleep and I took her hand and said, Talitha Kumi. And I raised her from the dead and I said, get this little girl some food. She's hungry. In my hands, that's all death is. In fact... It's not really sleep because you're with me. The living part of you never dies. That's what Jesus told Martha. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And, and there are people all over this room that have had that moment. Lord, if you had been here, this precious one would not have died. But even now, she said, and Jesus says, hey, your brother's going to live again. And she says, I know at the resurrection, the just, the and he said, no, 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 no. Here's the real question. If they believe in me, they will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's the question that the resurrection of Jesus, the Easter, Resurrection Sunday, presents all of us. Do we believe that because we believe in this impossible, made possible by grace, that death can never, ever hold one who belongs to Jesus because they're in his hands and not death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because all Satan can do to me, in death, is ensure I go to Jesus. That's having a lay down Nello hand in 42. That's like having an ace of spades playing spades. And while I'm probably not supposed to say this, it's like a royal flush if you're playing poker. But we're all playing poker because we're all betting our life on something. Just as much as the soldiers rolled their dice to see who would get Jesus' garments, when we stand at the cross, we're rolling the dice of our life on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says, I turned my life completely around because I met a resurrected Savior. And because of that, I can face death and I know that all the devil can do to me is kill my body and hand me to Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. The Jesus that we belong to. But that resurrected Jesus reminds us of another truth, another window of grace. And we don't want to ignore this window of grace because just saying that our loved ones will live again 
doesn't take away the hurt of losing them right now, does it? I watched Brad Thomas hug a sweet sister in Christ who lost her husband three years ago today. And those tears still flow. You don't lose a child or a spouse or a parent or someone dear to you and, and ever be the same. You're never the same. Well, we, we shouldn't grieve because Paul said that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yes. And 1 Thessalonians 4 says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. But it doesn't say we don't grieve, does it? In fact, when Jesus stood with Martha and Mary outside the grave of Lazarus four days after he had been dead, and he saw their anguish and their sorrow, what did he do? If you're like me, looking for a shortcut when you had to memorize Scripture in the second grade, you found the shortest verse in the Bible, and you could quote it, Jesus wept. And when Jesus saw their sorrow, it says he was angry. He was angry. Because even though we can never be separated from Jesus in death, those of us that are left behind are separated from them. And it hurts. And we're angry. Lord, if you'd been here, I wouldn't have to feel this way. Where is my hope? And Jesus says, look at my tears. The Bible is realistic. Jesus didn't march off to his death with a hop, skip, and jump and say, Oh boy, I'm going back home to daddy. But he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. If you will, this doesn't have to happen. This cup can pass from me. But Father, not only am I not going to call 10,000 angels, I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to fulfill your plan. And Jesus sweat like great drops of blood and agonized his soul. So in the midst of our sorrow, we recognize that while death can't hold those that belong to Jesus, it does cause us hurt. Paul, in his second window of grace, reminds us of Epaphroditus from Philippi that they sent to minister to him. Epaphroditus became sick. Paul was worried he was going to die. The Philippians were worried that he was going to die. And he, Paul says, but God had mercy on him. And not only on Epaphroditus, but on me to spare me sorrow from sorrow so let's don't give glib answers to those that have lost people in death yes we point them to Jesus and we point them to the resurrection and we point them to the hope to the certainty that Jesus raised from the dead gives us that we can never be separated from Jesus but when we're separated by death from somebody we love, it's not always a relief to have suffering in for them. 
Because we have to eat the suffering ourselves. The weddings unattended, the grandchildren unmet, the graduations never seen, the anniversaries never celebrated. They hurt. They hurt. And the one that was raised from the dead is also the one that cried tears in the face of death. And this is his promise, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, that he's going to come back. And he's going to reign this time until every enemy is crushed under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So yes, we rejoice in window of grace number one that nothing can separate us from Jesus if we belong to him. But we also rejoice in the Savior that has tasted the salt of his own tears just as we have tasted the tears of grief we have shed. And we know he's at the right hand of God interceding for us, directing the Holy Spirit to comfort us as only the Holy Spirit can. But this is where window number three becomes most important. And I'm going to put this one right here. And if window number one is the assurance of victory, and if window number two is the window of assurance of mercy and care, window number three is the best window of all. It's the window of reunion. It's the window of reunion. Paul would say in Philippians 3 to the Philippians who were proud of being a Roman citizen city, Very proud of their city. Very, very much civic pride. And he says to them, look, folks, I know you're patriotic. But let's get real. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, we eagerly await a Savior. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring all things under his control, this Savior will transform our lowly bodies to be like Jesus' body. So when you look through this window, what do you see? Well, the body that Jesus had after his resurrection, well, we're going to have one of those. Now, if you're in middle school or high school like me, I think it'd be so cool. You get that house in heaven, and you have some friends that live three or four doors down, You don't have to call them on the phone. You don't have to knock. You don't have to text them. You just go, boop, and you appear in the room with them. Now, that's cool. And we're going to have one of those bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 says, just as we born the image of the man of dust, we're going to bear the image of the man of resurrection, the man of life. Paul said... We're going to have a body that's just like his. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, We're children of God now, but it doesn't yet appear what we'll be like. But when he comes, we'll be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. When we grow older... 
The first 30 years of our life are pretty cool. We get to add things to our experience. But it seems like somewhere between 30 and 50, you start detracting from things in your experience. Anybody with me on this? You know, when you're 14, you can stay up all one night and then sleep 30 hours. Where does that come from? How, does our, how do our teenagers not have to go to the bathroom for 30, minutes, 30 hours? How can they sleep like that? The house can be falling down. You get older, it's not so easy to sleep, especially not a long time. I mean, even when you choose your Easter shoes that look kind of crazy, you still choose them when you're older based on one thing, right? They're soft. My knees don't hurt in the morning. Though our outer nature is wasting away, inwardly we're renewed because we're going to get a new body. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the passage that was read earlier, do you remember what was said there? You put it with 1 Corinthians 15. Then in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're all going to be changed. The, the dead are going to be raised up and given immortal bodies. And those who have died, or those who are alive, they're going to be changed in that instant and be given immortal bodies. And we're not sure exactly what that looks like. When, when people saw the resurrected Jesus, they didn't recognize him at first. If I were to put everybody's baby picture up here, you might could pick out some of them, especially if you've known them a while. But once you made the connection, it said, oh, that's what Leonard looked like back then. Oh, yeah, that's what, that's what Margaret looked like back in those days. Now I see the resemblance. Once we know each other, then we're going to know the resemblance and how to connect it. And 1 Thessalonians 4 goes on and says, not only are we going to have a glorious body, but we're going to have a glorious party. We're going to be in Jesus' presence, and it's going to be party. Not a potluck. Everybody's off the hook. You don't have to bring your own. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast is prepared. And the joy is real. And reunion is sweet. Jesus said, there's going to come a time when those from the north and the south and the east and the west are going to sit at the kingdom, sit at the table in heaven at the kingdom of God. And I want to be there. So this morning, Jesus comes to us as a raised Savior, and the question is whether or not we believe. Because we weren't there when Mary bent over to go in the tomb, except we were, weren't we? Because we know what it's like to lose somebody that stepped into our lives and saved us from ourselves. And that's what Jesus did for Mary. And we don't know what it was like because we didn't get to see Peter and John. Uh, we just know John was faster and Peter was more brash and John believed. But we were there, weren't we? 
Because we've been impetuous and done stupid stuff like Peter. And we've also been tender and been touched by stuff like John. When they saw him, we did too. And we weren't there with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, but we have been here when the bread was broken and the Lord was present and he was real. And like Thomas, who was a realist and said, I got to see, I got to see, we would like to see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And guess what? Window one says we will. And like Thomas, our hearts have been broken at the death of people we love. We've looked out a hearse and we've seen people going on their merry way. And we want to scream at them, don't you know that life is over? That I've lost this person and it will never be the same. We've all felt that way and that's, that's where Thomas was. But Wenda too says Jesus knows that feeling too and that's why he came and that's why the cross was necessary and that's why he blew the doors off of hell and the tomb came open and he rose from the grave and like Thomas who wasn't there when the other disciples saw Jesus the first time we weren't either but we trust that just as Thomas uh, Thomas had a reunion with the other apostles in the presence of Jesus Window three says, we're going to get a new body, one like Jesus, and we're going to be there at that reunion. So the Apostle Paul comes to us, someone who fiercely opposed Christians, supervised the stoning to death of Stephen, traveled to other cities to arrest them and imprison them, and he met Jesus. And the resurrection changed him. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here that didn't need window number one or window number two or window number three. They need a resurrected Savior today that came through that window and was present with us. And so if you're ready to say, I believe, and I want what's in window one, and I want to know that I have the assurance of window two, and I'm guaranteed a new body because of window three, here's your moment as we stand and sing. As I-